We're in Romans chapter 11. We're down to verse 6. The verse before was talking about the remnant, when God canceled his dealings with Israel as a whole, there still was a remnant, it says, in the same way there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. The remnant at the present time was the apostles and disciples, for they were the only ones that were Christians for the six and eight years. They were the first fruits, and God built the church on them. So Paul wants us to know, though God cut the nation off and did not deal with them with their privileges and promises, he hadn't totally cut them off because he made promises to Abraham, David, and he's going to fill those if it's just to a few people. But the nations as a whole, Israel, for generation after generation, was willful and stubborn, and God decided, I'm cutting them off. I'm not going to deal with them. And even Paul said, even though you're circumcised, if you don't keep the law, you're not a Jew. So basically, God did not consider them a part of the covenant, and he cut them off because of the rebellion and persistence and rebellion. But he didn't cut all of them off. He still has the root. He still has the trunk. And that's the remnant he's talking about. So that's why Paul is explaining this to us. Now, in verse 6, when verse 5, it says God's grace is choice. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit of the Father draw him. But God draws every man at some degree. Now, here he's talking about the gospel drawing him. But man's conscience, nature itself, is God's way of being gracious. And he has no purpose or no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they turn. So he's not elected any special group or chosen. He's chosen to be gracious, and he calls many, but they have to accept the call. And when they do, then they're the chosen, the elect. The holy angels that did not fall on the testing of the angels, when Lucifer and one-third of them did, they are called the elect, holy angels. They weren't elected to stay. They elected to stay. They didn't rebel and turn away from God. So they are the elect. And people have perverted those words, predestination, chosen, and election, to mean what they don't mean. Words change, and if we change language, we have to make sure the word is understood what it means, or we have to explain what it means. So God does not predestine people or elect them or choose them before they're born to go to heaven or hell. That's monstrous, and that's a demonic teaching. Because uh, he said what's elected and what is fixed and sure is the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it because the church is two people. If there's only two people left on the planet, that's the church. And people can be added to the church or cut off from it. But the church is going on because God's established that. Certain things have no dealings with man. It's God's purpose. But the choice of salvation of following the Lord and staying with him or rebelling, that's always up to man. God does not repent for people. He does not confess their sins. He does not believe for them. He helps them because in every spiritual thing, there's the divine side and the human side. So we cannot bear fruit unless we're in the vine. And yet Jesus cannot bear fruit 
and the branches if we don't yield to him. And the Father cuts them off if they don't. So we need to understand it's the union. He that has joined himself to the Lord is one in spirit. Uh, we're yoked with him, but the yoke can be broken by us. No one can snatch us out of his hand, but we can walk and we can go to the pleasures of sins of the world and go back to the temptations of the old man and we can fall away. Some people say, well, once saved, you can't do it. God don't force his will. And he said, well, you wouldn't want to. I said, well, that's interesting. You wouldn't want to, but you said, like you talk about every day, a word, thought, and a deed. So where's the grace of God to help you overcome sin? You're a hypocrite, and you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Man always has his will, whether he's saved or unsaved. In the New Testament, we're given so many warnings, encouragements, to do something and not to do something because God expects us to exercise choices and he does not do it for us. And there is no irresistible grace the way people think. People can stay with the Lord or they cannot stay with the Lord. They can yield to temptation or they can overcome temptation. And Jesus told the seven churches, if you overcome, implying you haven't overcome yet, you are overcoming because you're staying with the Lord. That's what John meant. He's that overcome. But until you finish the race and endure to the end, you're not an overcomer. Your salvation is temporal. It's only as you stay in Christ who is our salvation. But it's not permanent until we cross over and until we're faithful to the end. So he's telling us it was God's gracious choice for every man to be saved. He exercises grace even to the Gentiles before they knew anything about the law. said he winked at their ignorance. He accepted those who walked in the light they had and didn't worship other demons and recognized Almighty God. Well, Job did that. And Moses' father-in-law, the priest of Midian, they recognized God Almighty, and yet they weren't a part of Israel later. Cornelius was righteous and accepted before Peter went and showed him how to receive the gospel. The angel told him, your good deeds have come up before God. Well, he didn't call him a dirty old sinner, did he? He said, your good deeds and your works are memorable to God, and therefore he's going to show you the clear way. And say, so we got a lot of liars preaching, all these people going to hell because they don't get the gospel. They go to hell when they reject the gospel, not when they don't get the gospel. But if they're following their conscience in any nation, they will not be idolaters. They will not be murderers. Their conscience would correct them and tell them to do or not to do. And God's going to hold them responsible until they get the truth of the gospel. Now, if Cornelius rejected Peter, he would not be a righteous Gentile. He would be considered responsible for his sins. Uh, God would not excuse him a wink at it. So in verse 6, but it is of grace. Grace here is not just unmerited favor. That's what all the greasy graces like to talk about because they think it licensed them to sin anytime they want to. It's all God. It's a lie. Grace, Paul talked about too. He's, the Lord said uh, when he wanted the thorn removed from him, Jesus wouldn't do it. 
He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Grace is God's strength and ability to overcome. It's not one-sided. See, that's passive grace, which is false grace, the same as faith. James said, you say you have faith and you believe and you don't help your brother. How can righteousness be in you? How can you be a Christian? He implied rhetorical, you can't. You can confess all you want, but your actions prove you wrong. So if people don't have spiritual works, obedience, and trusting the Lord like that, their faith is vain. It's a mental ascent, and there'll be masses of them that say, Lord, Lord, believing he's the Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you, and cast him into hell. So people need to wake up and say, if you profess grace and belief, then you fall in line. As Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? He didn't say if you don't believe. He said if you don't do what I tell you. So a Christian has to keep the commandments of Christ and be led of the Spirit, or his Christianity is false or it's forfeited. So people need to, that's why today people don't like that gospel. They want everything to depend on God's grace, and they can live like they want to because they have a wicked, deceived heart. So it's by grace and faith, not human works, that we are redeemed. Human works cannot redeem himself. The Pharisees and the Jews started trusting in the works of the law, of keeping this and keeping that, instead of the law was to point them to Christ and the righteous one to come. But they tried another way, and they failed, and their righteousness was not accepted. And so then the Lord went to the Gentiles, and they accepted it. But it didn't mean there was no works. They produced spiritual works, the fruitfulness and obedience. That's the proof that you're under grace and faith. And if you don't have those, you need to question whether you are of the elect. Peter said, examine these things and prove that you're of the elect. See, he, he took the same view. Well, if you think you're God's select and chosen, then you better be living like this. And if you're not, you've got to question what kind of religion you got. Okay. So a man, a sinner, cannot offer a pure, undefiled sacrifice as Christ did. So even if a good-natured person under the law or a Gentile tried to live righteously and God accepted that, but all it took was one sin to prove he has sinned and he cannot redeem himself. He cannot do anything. That would be human works. It had to be done on God's part through Christ. So the plan of salvation had nothing to do with man. Receiving that plan has everything to do with man. If man does not repent and believe, he'll not be saved. So that's what he's trying to tell them, okay? Otherwise, if it's human works and effort, it's no longer grace. And God's favor and his strength to comply with what he wants. God never requires of people something they can't do. These false teachers talk as if command you to do this and command you to do that, but I know you can't do it. Well, that's a hypocrite. That makes God a deceiver. If he commands a person to do something, he expects them or he'll empower them to do it. And that's what he's doing in the new covenant. Okay, And the Jew held on to ritual and ceremony and their good works 
thinking that was acceptable. Well, they found out it was not acceptable to God. Okay. What then? He's asking a question. What Israel is seeking, it did not obtain. What? Righteousness. Because they went after it the wrong way. They had their own form of righteousness. They thought keeping the law and ceremony would make them righteous. And the Lord was trying to teach them through the law of Moses that no matter how righteous you are and good-natured and do good things, and God accepted it under that covenant, you still needed sacrifice because somewhere in your life, even as Solomon said, there is none that has not sinned. The sinful nature and impulses, you know, the meditation, there ain't no one lived who has never sinned once but Christ. And God accepted that under his covenants. And he allowed sacrifice and forgiveness for most sins. But for some, he did not. They were cut off. They were dragged away and stoned to death for idolatry and certain parts of rebellion. And he didn't allow no forgiveness. They were cut off in their sins. So under the new, all sins can be forgiven except for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about what that is for people and what it really means. So what Israel is seeking, it did not obtain. But those who were chosen obtained it. The Gentiles, the Lord decided to choose them like he did Israel. Israel, when God chose them through Abraham and Isaac, he said, I didn't choose you because you were special or you were any different. His choice and graciousness said, I'll make an example of this people. I'll give them privileges but he expected them to comply. And ultimately, they did not. Only the individuals did, like Abraham and and other prophets. So he honored their faith and trust, and he excluded all the rest that were just lip service. He didn't care for that. So uh, what he's saying then, it's no longer on the basis of human works is what he's talking about. So when James is talking about faith without works is dead, he's talking about spiritual works. He's not talking about ritual, Catholic rituals and ceremonies. That has nothing, saves no one. And that's the works that often people emphasize, and even the greasy, grace, Calvinistic people. But the scripture's not talking about those kind of works. Talk about any kind of human effort to redeem himself cannot be done because he's not a perfect person and cannot offer or represent the sinner or himself before God. So God had to do it. So otherwise, like he says, it's grace. If he bases it on his works and his effort, then grace isn't working anymore. It's no longer God doing it. And unless God does it, it's in vain. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord watch the city, the watchers watch in vain. So that's what we need to understand. Okay, we go up to seven. What then? Uh What Israel is seeking, it did not obtain. But again, those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Who were chosen? He's not talking about the individual. He's talking about here, the Gentiles being chosen. As he called the Jews and chose them as a special people, he laid them aside. And he decided to work with the Gentiles. That's how he chose them. And we're going to find uh, what's going to happen to the individual that doesn't remain 
where God chose him. Same thing's going to happen. It happened to the Jews. As a whole, they're going to be cut off and lost. And only a remnant's going to be saved, the first fruits. Okay. And the rest were hardened. God hardens. Like he told Paul, he said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will harden whom I will harden. And people like to twist that as if it's before they were born. That's demonic lies. He means if a person starts hardening himself toward me, I'll harden myself. Like he did Pharaoh. He did King Saul. Tested him many times and he kept hardening himself. So God finally said, that's it. The children of Israel in one day, they lost the promise to go into the promised land and they had to wander for 40 years and that generation had to die off. Well, the next day they come back to Moses and said, we're ready to go in. And Moses said, don't go because God's not with you. See, they took God to the point, that's it. And Hebrews says he swore in his wrath they would not enter. See, he had tested them several times and they kept failing. So finally on this last testing, he swore to himself they will not go in. And he did it while he was angry so they would not move him later. His holiness took precedence and not his compassion and not his forgiveness. See, once he's looking and saying, I showed too much grace and I'd feel sorry for him later. I might want to listen, but I'm going to make sure I won't. So when God shuts the door, as he did on the five foolish virgins, that means grace has been shut. There's no longer do the promises apply. See, he withdrew his promises. People say, well, yes, he does. He repents, it says. He said, if I prophesy to do good to a person or a nation, he said, and they turn to wickedness, I will repent of the good I determined to do for them. So he's saying, I could prophesy, I'm going to do this. But you get out of God's will, he's not obligated to keep his word because you've removed yourself from your relationship with him and become evil. So the rest were hardened, okay? His spirit did not strive with them. He withdrew the truth, the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus, he prayed and said, thank you, Lord, you've hid this from the Pharisees and scribes and revealed it to the simple people. There was a time that the Lord said, they don't want to believe and they'll fight me, so I'm not giving them truth. I'm going to send them lying spirits. And that's what he did. God takes credit for it. He said, I'll send them and they'll believe the lie and be damned. So even the devils are under his control. If a person doesn't want to listen to the spirit of truth or be led, he withdraws and he looks over. And like he did with King Saul, the spirit departed from King Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord, from Jehovah, terrorized him. I mean, God looked and said, well, he'll do what I want him to do. And he did. He'll deceive and lie him because he wouldn't lie himself but he can turn people over to liars. He don't have to tell them a wicked person the truth. He can keep things from them. His giving them truth and grace, again, is, is gracious of God. He's not obligated to do it if they don't live right and they don't obey him. Now we're going to the old, but before we do, the leaders, the people as a whole, they were seeking their own righteousness and they did not obtain it. But those he chose, he went to the Gentiles, uh, they responded to Christ, and the way of righteousness was Christ. 
So while the apostles and disciples, again, they were Jews, and for six and eight years, they were the only Christians. So they were the first fruits. They were part of the remnant. They laid the foundation. Paul and other disciples built marvelously on it. Paul, the main apostle to the nations, the Gentiles, but most of Israel, the priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the people as a whole were hardened and blinded, and that was a response, a judgment, because they kept hardened and were willfully stubborn against the Lord himself after he sent the prophets to warn them, and often they killed the prophets and persecuted them. Okay. So their stubbornness and sin kept them from seeing. They were spiritually blinded. That was a part of the punishment. And they could not see that Jesus was the Lord and the Messiah. See, because he kept it from them. Their sins kept it from them. He's not into enlightening. And so when conviction comes on a person, he removes the veil. So they can consider the truth. And if they reject it, he can let the veil come back down. And later on, they think, well, you know, I didn't believe that anyway, or that wasn't true. See, they start to believe the lie because the spirit of truth doesn't maintain them. Okay. So he's quoting the old, just that it is written, God gave them a spirit of slumber or stupidity, or drugged, we would say today. They were drugged, eyes that they could not see and ears that could not hear. They were not spiritually attuned. And God did this to the Pharisees. He's prophesied this. He did this to the high priest. At one time he told the Pharisees, you'll die in your sins because you don't believe who I am. And then once he said, and you cannot believe for your sins. See, John kept preaching repentance and the people listened. So when Jesus came, they could see. The Pharisees and the priests as a whole, they didn't really repent under the Jewish way they were to do it and clean themselves up. So when Jesus came, they could not understand who he was. If they stumbled at simple things, they couldn't be given deeper things. That's the spiritual law. If you're not faithful to little, you won't be given much. So John came and John prepared the people for Jesus. and. Six of the disciples were John the Baptist, and they turned immediately to Jesus. They were already right with God. They stayed right. And so when Jesus came preaching, they recognized him. But the Pharisees did not. And they would argue scripture and argue, and they were confounded because the spirit of the Lord sent evil spirits to deceive them. And they were responsible for it. And when he gave them opportunity, they didn't take it. They spurned his grace, okay? So what is he saying now? Why is he doing this? Well, the preaching to the Gentiles is still going on. And Paul is telling us, and is going to keep telling us, he didn't reject all of the Jews. There's the first fruits. That's the remnant. But he rejected the nation and the religious system as a whole because they were self-righteous, okay? But even Paul and the preaching of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, every second and third Sabbath, he went to the Jew first. So God didn't say, don't do it. But once the temple was destroyed, and once all the religious system was destroyed, we don't find them going 
to the Jews first. See, for 40 years, they were still under probation. God still sent the message to the ones outside Israel that hadn't heard the truth. And Paul went to them, and most of them rejected him, like the ones at Jerusalem, but he always had a few that came and saw the light and came to the Lord. Okay. Yet most rejected him, and they rejected Christ through him. Okay. And again, Jesus said, I thank you, Father. You hid these things from the wise, the brilliant, the scribes. The Pharisees and priests looked at the disciples later after Pentecost and forbid them to preach on Jesus, but they said they'd been with Jesus. They knew they were ignorant men. They didn't have the learning the Jews had and all the, but they knew something the Jews didn't. And so they recognized these men have been with Jesus. Well, they rejected Jesus too. So anyway, he hid it from the Jews and he revealed it to the simple, okay? So the wise, they were supposed to be the Jews that had the law and the promises and the privileges. And because they failed and rebelled at it, they weren't so wise. So God started to hide things from them. He wasn't gracious. And he finally cuts them off. Most of the branches were cut off. Okay. But the common people, the common Jews, most of them, they be, many of them became his disciples and apostles. So he was still dealing with the remnant. He laid the church's foundation on a remnant of Jewish Christians. Okay. So the Jews marveled at the apostles because they did not have their kind of teaching, but they sure knew how to talk like Jesus talked, and that bothered them also. Okay. Then he goes down, verse 9 and 10, and David still prophesying, let their table where they're fed, what they get spiritually, become a snare and a trap. Don't give them good food. Send them poison. Let it be a stumbling block, okay, and retribution to them. If they're going to reject the cornerstone, the consequences is the Spirit is going to withdraw grace, and they're going to murder the Son, and he's going to hold them accountable one day. They're going to answer for this. And during the Great Tribulation period, when most of the world has rejected Christ and is under the plagues and being tormented by demon spirit, it said, because, he said, they killed the prophets and the saints, and God is avenging them. Their main punishment is because they mistreated Christians. Isn't that interesting? Retribution, pay them back evil for evil. If they don't want to live right, give them justice, vengeance, wrath. That's what he's saying. Okay. Verse 10, let their eyes, he's talking about the spiritual eyes, be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. They can't lean forward and see the truth. They're looking in the wrong direction. They can't see where they're going. If you're looking back, you'll stumble and fall and be deceived. And so David prophesies of them, calling God's punishments and keeping the light from them as they sought their own way to be special and righteous. They thought the law and being circumcised would make them righteous. They didn't think much about the other sins that they weren't capable of atoning for, and they couldn't form their own way of being saved. But they sure tried it. 
So God gave the Jews great light and promises and privileges when he called them, when he chose them as a special people. But again, they weren't special when he called them. He said, you're no different than the other nation, but I picked you out. That's his right to start dealing with you and make an example of you and a light. Yet they became wicked, stubborn, and willful. And so he sent darkness. And here, what people don't understand, the God of this world, the devil, Satan deceived and blinded them when the Holy Spirit left them and departed from them. Not only could they come, they were sent by God's consent. Remember, Job, all of his temptation, everything that happened, the devil had to get God's permission. And God kept him beyond what he could bear. He obviously did. He doesn't promise that to the wicked and the sinner. Uh, but he held a Job. And even in Job's failures, that wasn't the issue. God himself comes and says, there was none like him in all the earth. He upheld his integrity. He still considered him for the issue that he was dealing with. He was most righteous, okay? So God gave them the light promises, the law, the privileges, and prophecies. He didn't do that to other nations. He didn't give them that. But Satan deceived and blinded them because of their sins. God will not always strive with men. That's what it means. They keep resisting him. They keep disobeying, whether it's a nation or all of a sudden he said, that's enough. After 120 years that Noah preached, when he went in the ark, God shut the door. Didn't matter if they believed five minutes later, didn't do a bit of good because he wasn't offering grace anymore. It didn't matter the next day that all the Jews from 20 years up had to wander for 40 years and die because God didn't want them in the promised land. He would work with the next generation. They missed it by one day. But see, many people in hell, well, I'm going to get right tomorrow. They, they know enough of the gospel to know uh, what's expected. And they, many of them know they're headed to hell if they don't change their life. And they keep saying, well, I'll wait and I'll do this. And the procrastination, one day they're cut off in their sins. And then it doesn't matter. Nothing can be done about it. Grace has ended. Okay, The lake of fire is the end of grace. It's the end of God's feeling kindness toward them. It's utter wrath and contempt. It means God's anger is on them. He don't feel sorry for them. He shut the door. They're outer darkness. That means they're furthest away from God in relationship as is possible. And he doesn't give them a second thought for grace or kindness or anything. That's the horror of hell. That's what we saw. That's why Jesus said, don't fear man. He told his disciples, the most he can do is kill you. He said, fear him, who after he's killed your body can cast your soul into hell. So he was saying, if you want to fear somebody, you fear God first. But then he said, it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But he was saying, if you're going to be worried about people, you better be worried about God, because he's the one that has eternal consequences given. So people need to learn to fear of the Lord. And they wouldn't think they have a license to sin, like many people deceivingly think they do. So the Spirit of the Lord again departed from King Saul after God tested him several times, and an evil spirit from Jehovah terrorized him. 
See, people say, well, God just allowed. I said, no, the scripture says it was from the Lord. So in his overall will and permissive will, it doesn't matter whether he directed it or pointed and said, you can come now. He's in control. And that's what he wanted. So he wants deception and blindness to be given to those who consistently reject his grace. That is the will of God. The will of God is that wicked man be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. That's the ultimate end and solution if they will not be redeemed and accept God's grace. Then God wills that. He wills his judgment and wrath to come into effect. And he's never changed. His thinking is still the same. As we said before, people don't tell you that. But the most famous scripture, for God so loved the world, he gave his only God. Everybody loves that scripture. They don't read a few verses down. And he doesn't believe, it says, the wrath of God remains on him. Preachers tell, well, God's not angry anymore. They're lying to you. He has not changed. He can execute grace and loving kindness and be merciful. At the same time, he can be angry and exercise wrath. We're confined to one of two motions at a time. He is not. So he's offering grace to the world, but they're still under his wrath. He's trying to make a peace treaty with them, but they're still his enemies. Until they accept the terms, he still is looking at them. But he's being gracious and goodwill, saying, I'll wait, I'll hold. And Paul told the Jews that were stubborn and didn't come. He said, you're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Don't you know God's long suffering is meant to lead you to repentance? So even while God's exercising his anger on them, he's not always punishing them or exercising visible wrath. He doesn't strike them dead when they sin. He could do that. That's within his right. But he's measuring everything. And the more grace they reject, the greater is going to be their punishment in the end. So God can be gracious to him, he will. But in the long run, he's still just and fair. He don't have no favorites. And woe to the person that rejects his grace and his overtures, he's going to remember it. And every idle word that the wicked man does, he's going to give an account for it. So that's justice. Justice doesn't overlook anything. And justice looks at holiness and says, holiness must be maintained. So God is not looking for a way to do away with justice and holiness. He's trying to have judgment and mercy agree. They don't cancel each other out. They come to an agreement because that's the nature of God. He still is exercising wrath toward the wicked. He's keeping them from the truth. He's just not exercising full wrath. So he lets people find their life and be happy in this world. And then when they drop dead, all of that's going to be measured out to them. So they're not getting away with anything. People envious and jealous of the psalmist said i was envious of the rich and the wealthy their life is so smooth he said until i went to the house of the lord and saw their end see they didn't know until the last moments they were dying and then when they woke up in hell then they understood and the psalmist saw some of the consequences and he he wasn't envious of them anymore because he knew what their end was going to be so 11 now 
But I say, he said, did not they stumble so all of them could fall? He's asking a rhetorical. He said, no. He said, no. God's intention was not to cut all of them off. There was the first fruits. There was a remnant that was faithful, and they upheld his principles. And that's why they are called the elect, the chosen, the remnant, he said. He's still dealing with them. May it never be. So be it, he says. God keeps his word. Okay. With Israel, he made promises through Abraham, Isaac, and then David, Moses, the prophet. And as concerning Israel, Paul said the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He don't change his mind. Now, the branches and the people can be cut off, but the root and the trunk abide, and that's the remnant. That's the part that the gates of hell not prevail against the church. And in our dark ages, it's going to be so dark. It's going to be like the time of Noah and Lot. Well, there was nobody saved except for them. And their family got in because of them, not because they were righteous. And he said it's going to be that way at the end. It's going to get darker and darker. But there's going to be a couple of people because he says the church. What is the church? Two or three gathered in my name. It's not an organization. It's not an institution. A human. It's spiritual. And he said the gates of hell will not prevail. He'll have a people. And he even says it's going to get so dark if he didn't intervene, the very elect, the ones that are Christian, the few people that are like Lot and Noah, he said they'd fall away if God wasn't gracious and decided to cut it short. And that's what he's going to do because they endured. He said, I'll keep you from that hour that is going to try the whole world. So that's God's graciousness to them. Because they remain faithful, he extends more grace to them. Okay? So that's what he intends. Okay? So he says, may it never be. He's still dealing with Israel in one form or another, or the Jewish people. Let's take a break now. <laughs> 